Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. You're close when I'm in the fire, Lord. You're near when the flames overwhelm. It's your grace that'll get me started. This whole topic of bitterness and offense and uh, overcoming offenses is, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to hear. Uh, you know, a young preacher was uh, uh, preaching along and he didn't have a sound system like I've got and, and he saw an elderly man back cupping his ear, you know, and he said, sir, would you like me to speak louder? And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm already hearing a lot more than I'm doing. So I'm already hearing and saying a lot more than I'm doing, too, in a lot of ways. You know, I, f- I figured out a long time ago that if I was going to be a preacher of the truth, then there would be some stuff that I needed to hear myself preach, too. You know what I'm saying? And could grow in, in this, too. And I, I, I also heard another man say, I've had a lot of opportunities to take offense, and I haven't taken any of them. That's a mouthful right there. Lots of opportunities to be offended, but I haven't taken any of them. See, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us and how we react, how we respond. That's where we have responsibility. Jesus said, write this verse down, Luke 17, 1. Luke 17, 1. Jesus said, things that, that offend people are bound to come. There you go. They're bound to come. They're coming. It's coming. If you're not offended, if you haven't been offended last week, probably next week you will be. It's just going to happen. You're going to have offense in your life, and you'll probably be offensive too. <laughs> That's the problem. The Greek word in the New Testament for offense where it talks about, and I'll quote a bunch of them this morning, I'll show you a bunch of them, uh, is usually the Greek word scandalon. We get our word scandalous, scandal from it, but usually, uh, but what this, actually this Greek word means is a trigger on a trap. So picture a trap and there's a trigger that, you know, an animal or something gets trapped in it. So it's a trigger on a trap. Satan has all kinds of traps for us and one of his favorite triggers is offense. A lot of folks get trapped, and I'm looking at some of them right now. Get trapped by the enemy because you've allowed offense to jump into your heart and not deal with it. And uh, Jesus said this in Matthew, write this one down, Matthew 16, 23. Matthew 16, 23. He said to Peter, "Uh, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense. You're a stumbling block. You're an offense to me. And uh, Satan is the prince of offense. Oh, he loves it when Christians offend one another and keep them away from church, keep them away from family, keep them away from each other. He just loves it. I mean, he's really won a great victory when he's offended uh, people through the brethren. So take a look on your outline. We're going to talk, first of all, is who can offend you? Who can offend you? And I'd just like you to write a couple of things down about that. Who can offend you? I'd like to propose to you, maybe surprisingly to you, The first person that might be able to offend you is the Lord. The Lord can offend you. You can be offended, I should say, by the Lord. I don't know that he is offensive, but we can certainly be offended by the Lord. That verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 16, or verse 6, does anybody know the context of that verse? Read that verse, and does anybody know the context of it? You recall when Jesus said, Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away or isn't offended on account of me, scandal on Anybody know? Yeah. Yep. He's blazing through the country. But where is John the Baptist when he gets offended by Jesus? In jail. And so he sends some people. He says, you know, tell him, go ask Jesus if he's the one or what. 
I mean, what is up with this? I mean, I shouldn't be, I'm the, I'm the prophet, right? And, and, and if he's going to come with a blaze of glory and overcome the Romans, why am I in jail? He was, and Jesus said, blessed is the man who isn't offended or isn't stumbled uh, by me. In other words, have you ever been offended by the Lord not answering your prayer the way you wanted him to pray? Now, be honest with me now. I prayed and prayed and prayed for my uh, son or the uh, daughter, or, and they still got into drugs and got into trouble. I prayed and prayed and prayed for the salvation of a family member, and I just haven't ever seen it happen. And, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and we, but we lost our You know what I'm saying? When God doesn't answer yes to our prayers, God always gets involved, but he doesn't always intervene. He doesn't always work the miracle we're looking for, and we can then get offended by God and get kind of bitter at the Lord because he didn't do it the way. That, and John the Baptist was in that state. He, he, he wasn't acting like the God that he expected uh, the Messiah that uh, Jesus was. The, the next one's in Matthew 13, uh, verse 21. And do you remember the context of this? But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away or is offended. What's the context there? What is that? The parable of the sower or the soils and the guy that quickly falls away because of persecution and difficulty. He falls away. I've seen a lot of Christians do that. They thought they were signing up for peace and joy and happiness. When, when other stuff happened, they got offended by God not taking care of every little detail in their lives and as a result fell away from the Lord. And then another one in Matthew 13 also uh, says, and they took offense at him. And the next verse says, and he didn't do many miracles there because of the, their unbelief. Mark's gospel, when it records, it says, and he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. I think that when we allow ourselves to be offended by God and, and offense, what it does is it impedes the supernatural. I think Jesus is obstructed by our cynical unbelief and isn't able to really do a lot of miracles because of that cynicism. I've seen, um, I, I, I'm a bit concerned about Christians who have been Christians for 20, 30 years. And if you've been a Christian 20, 30 years, you've seen a lot, you have, all, you have a cache of unanswered prayers. I know you do, because I do too. Well, they were answered, it just wasn't answered in the way that I wanted them to be answered. And as a result, I've seen a lot of people 20, 30 years in the Lord, cynical. They might still go, go to church and love Jesus, but they, they don't take faith steps like they used to. Holy Spirit used to just have to just whisper a little thing, you know, why don't you go do that? Now it's like a truck has to hit you in the street, you know, before you'll do something because of a sin. Well, I made a lot of mistakes. Oh, I, you know, didn't, didn't, that all didn't pan out when I used to be radical for Jesus. And then, of course, you can get offended by people. Uh, this is our most, most uh, famous and uh, favorite uh, form of offense, I'm sure. Proverbs 18 uh, says something very scary about offenses. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Sounds like bondage to me. Does that sound like bondage to you? Spiritual bondage. A person that gets offended is hard, uh, really hard, more unyielding than a fortified city. Um, picture this in your mind, will you? Somebody said that the Christian life is kind of like a, a person in a house, four walls and a roof. The four walls represent our separation from each other, our our sins against one another and our unyielding unforgiveness in regard to one another. And then the roof over our heads is, represents our sins and rebellion against God and what keeps us from God. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit blows a hole in the roof. Okay, you got walls, 
between people, roof overhead between us and God. Holy Spirit blows a, a hole in the roof. So now you have an opening so you can have a relationship with God. And when you pray and you grow in Christ and you read the word and you develop in your walk, the, the hole gets larger. So there's less and less of a roof like that. But then we realize over time that if we just got rid of the walls that separate us from each other, if the walls went away that separated us, what would happen to the roof? It'd just fall, it'd fall down. It, there wouldn't be a roof. Do you understand you can't have a roof without walls? Everybody good with that? I'm not an architect, but I think that works. And so you get rid of the walls between us. What happens to the roof? You got no roof, and you got a full and free relationship with God. So you got to get on. I mean, he puts you at the table, right? You get saved, and you're at the banqueting table of God. Glory to God, I'm going to eat. And he's at the head of the table. But it's all these other people at the table. <laughs> See, if you're going to sit at his table, there's people at the table. And we got to get along with them. And we've got to deal with our offenses and our walls between us mess up our relationship with God. And then, of course, you can take up somebody else's offense. Now, this is a scary thing. I've seen a good deal of this, where somebody is offended with somebody, and you just marched in and found out that offense, and you got offended with that somebody, too. And look at this verse. Have you read this verse in the Bible? Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Did you read that in the Bible? Seizing a dog by the ears, it isn't safe, especially if he's a big dog like the one in San Francisco that you know, killed somebody. You don't seize dogs like that by the ear. And that's what ha it's, it's that dangerous to get involved in somebody else's offense. And I'll tell you why. Um, when you take up somebody else's offense, it's very hard to get it o uh, over with because you don't have grace from God because it's not your business. God is giving grace to the people that are involved in that dispute, not you because you shouldn't be involved in that dispute to, to begin with. And so you're not getting just ready grace from God. God's just saying, I'm not helping you, man. You shouldn't even be in that dispute. What are you picking up somebody else's offense for like that? Okay, so stay out of, your, stay out of other people's arguments, other people's wars. It'll help you out a bunch. Now, what are we going to do about it? Okay, so you get offended by the Lord, you can get offended by other people, or you can get offended in somebody else's dispute, but what are we going to do about it? Well, I would say the first thing you got to do is commit it to God. Write that in there, commit it to God. Commit it to God. Don't nurse it, disperse it. It's, uh, it, it's uh, harboring a grudge or launching it. Are you going to harbor it or are you going to launch it so it goes away and never comes back? That's what we got to do, but commit it to God. He will listen to you. Please hear me. God will listen to you. If you've been offended by somebody, talk to God. He will listen to you. He cares about you, and he cares about them. And if you'll commit that offense to God and bring it to God, he will listen to your aches and to your pains and to your woes and to the things that hurt you on the inside. He will. He'll listen to you. He cares. I love this verse in Psalms. To me, I'm telling you, this, this verse right here, will help so many people. And, and so commit it to memory, or at least know where it is in the, in the Bible so you can point to it. But you, oh God, do see trouble and grief. Stop. He sees it. If you have trouble, you have grief, he sees it. He sees it. He's not unaware. He sees your trouble and grief. Let's go on. You consider it. He considers it. He thinks about it. He's involved in it. He'll get involved on some level with your trouble and grief. 
Thirdly, he says there, to take it in hand. So he can take that trouble and your grief in his hand. He will, he'll get involved in such a way that he'll, that he'll take it in his hand. And then look what I've underlined. The victim commits himself to you. Would you read that with me out loud, please? The victim commits himself to you. Let's say it again. The victim commits himself to you. The Bible does talk about victims. And then he describes the most uh, a profound example of a victim found in, in all humanity. You are a helper of the fatherless. You know, the fatherless is pretty, pretty much a victim that isn't in charge. I mean, you know, a child that doesn't have a father couldn't have changed. I mean, that's not his fault. And if his father passed away or his father wasn't there emotionally or his father uh, abandoned them, I mean, we're talking about a victim. And even that kind of victim can commit himself to you. If you're a victim on one level or another, you make sure to commit that to God. Don't live in your victimhood. Don't let that become your identity, that I'm a victim. No, you can turn that over to God so that he takes that and bears that and you don't have to live the life of a victim from that point on because you've committed yourself and that victimhood uh, to God. Now, when I say this, some people think, because uh, we were talking about Joseph, for instance, okay. Was Joseph a stoic? I mean, am I talking about stoicism where you just don't even feel and you just keep a stiff upper lip and just don't feel it and just go on, you know, kind of thing. I don't think that's, that's not at all. I'm not saying suppress it. I'm saying express it to God. And Joseph did. I won't take time right now. I'd like to, but I won't. Do this study for yourself. You've just read through Genesis. Did you, uh, did you see him, uh, Joseph emoting ever? When did you see him emoting? He cried so loud that everybody in the palace could hear him one time. I found seven times that Joseph wept. Seven times in the book of Genesis. He, when his brothers came back, when he saw Benjamin the first time, when he saw his father the first time, when his father died, when his brothers came back to him and, and knelt and said, please forgive us, kind of, he wept, he wept, he wept, he wept, he wept, he wept, and he wept seven times. You find it in Genesis. He wasn't stoic. He was... The, and these, this weeping wasn't stuck in grief. It was the process of moving through grief. You just never want to get stuck. Grief is a hard thing to get through, especially when it's a huge abandonment like he was experiencing. But when you cry, make sure that it's crying with a purpose and that you're cleansing yourself from that past and moving on by committing it to God. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not trying to give you psychotherapy here. I'm just telling you, though, that built in the Bible is a means by which we can keep moving and not get stuck. And so it's very important uh, to deal with our feelings and, and to weep before God. I say this to people all the time. You might want to write this down, it, especially if there's offense. You may have to face it, you may have to feel it, and you will have to forgive it. Sometimes you can't forgive it until you face it and feel it. Some folks don't face it and feel it, and they're just trying to forgive, forgive, forgive. They really haven't faced it and then felt it and then forgiven it and let it go. So uh, Joseph was a good example of that, of course, and he certainly felt all the, the, the pain there in jail and went on and on and on and, and made it. He was a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. It's just a tremendous story. I love Joseph. And then, uh, and then I would say this, it's very likely that you'll have to confront it, at least from time to time. Now, let me tell you about this. This is very important. Matthew 18, of course, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you uh, and him. And, uh, then, and if he listens, then you've won your brother. Great, great truth. Very important truth. 
Now, let me say this. I don't think necessarily every time somebody bumps up against you, you have to give them the third degree. Some of it you should just chalk up to living in an imperfect world. So you don't have to confront every little thing that somebody does. Some of it you just say, you know what? I leave that with you, Lord. It's no big deal. I, I'm not sure what they were, why they blinked, but I'm not even going to lose any. You understand? How many of you? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to get too into the confronting thing, and every, everything in your life has to be a confrontation. Like the guy said, I've had lots of opportunities to take offense. I haven't taken any of them. So just don't take some. So just drop it. Now, how many of you ever tried to drop something and you went, okay, I'm just dropping it, and it stuck to you. It just can't, won't, won't go off of you. So now at that point, you want, want to bring it to God and try to pass it to him and say, okay, now, Lord, I need, just need your help. I'm not dropping this real good. And then maybe in that time of prayer, the Holy Spirit would then lead you to say, you know, you need to talk to that brother about that. It's, 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 this is one of those things you'd want to confront. Just make clear, be kind, speak the truth in love, go and just say, you know, that offended me. Now, usually you'd want to use I messages rather than you message. You offended me. No, I am offended by, and, and I'm reacting to something you did. And like, could we talk about it? Could we fix this? Because, man, I want to stay family with you kind of thing. And that's so important. And when you do that, then uh, your, your goal is to save the relationship, not win an argument. It says here to win your brother. You've won your brother over, not won an argument. A lot of Christians want to learn, win arguments. Let's not make that as our goal. Somebody say amen to that. Confess, and then when you go to them, you're actually confessing. You know what? I'm offended. I, and sometimes I've had to tell people, I, I want you to know, I'm kind of ashamed that I'm even tripping on this. So it just shows you how thin-skinned I am in this area. I got to tell you that the, I'm offended, and would you help me work through that? And then I would say, after confront it, then we're talking forgive it. It's just there. Uh, forgiveness is the odor of flowers when trampled on. Do you know that forgiveness is unilateral? I can do it all by myself. If you and I are having a beef, uh, I can forgive you all by myself. I don't need your help. Reconciliation is bilateral. That means that we, you know, I, I'm not in control of reconciliation. I mean, you, and you're not. You're only in control of forgiveness. And the other person would be in control of forgiveness. And then reconciliation could happen. But you can't have reconciliation if both parts. But you can do it unilaterally, just all on your own forgive. And so he says, if you return seven times, uh, forgive him. I, I, I skipped something. Can I go back and tell you something I skipped? Uh, un, we talk about wounds and scars, because uh, uh, um, uh, Webster's Dictionary trans, uh, uh, defines offense as wounded feelings. You ever had wounded feelings? Of course you have. And wounded feelings would be, I talk about wounds and scars, and scars are healed up. Wounds have, have uh, infections still in them. The other word that we use oftentimes is unfinished business, unfinished business, a wounded feeling still going on. I just wanted to give you three ways you'd know if you have un, unfinished business with, the, with issues. Here's one, is uh, when you still have wounded feelings. Maybe wounded feelings turn into anger, maybe they turn into depression, whatever, but wounded feelings might mean you have unfinished business. Number two, uh, you, you might have unfinished business if you're still living in reaction to some past event reactionary living. In other words, the way you live, the way you think, the way you talk is colored by your reaction to that thing that happened or that person that offended you or hurt you in some, some way. I think of that when I've gone to pat a child on the head and they wince before I get there. That's a bad sign. It could be a bad sign. 
could be just that I came up to on them too quick, you know. But understand? Unfinished business. And then I would say the third thing, I'm not sure if I can say this very well, but so let me just write, read what I wrote. I didn't get this out of a book. I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this, and I want you to hear it. When your reactionary living affects your view of, the whole, of whole categories of people and situations, um, it's like it prejudices you. If you're living in a prejudiced way, you probably have some unfinished business. Uh, I, I, I was out here Wednesday, and we were serving pizza to SoCal students, and one of the girls who actually uh, ended up bringing her mother to meet me and us, and it was really a trippy thing, and earlier she said, would you save us some pizza? She's going to be a little bit late, and we were talking, and she said, um, she said, all men are scum. I'm never going to get married, never going to have children. All men want is sex. Men are bad. They're all bad. Now, was she trying to pull my chain? Probably. Was she trying to get a reaction? Sure. But something was behind that. That's, would you say that would be unfinished business of some sort? Uh-huh. I, I hurt for people that talk that way. Uh, all black people are this way. All Hispanics are that way. Probably has some unfinished business. Something that's going on inside of you that isn't dealt with. You understand what I'm saying? All pastors all want your money. Somebody's been hurt by a pastor and they haven't dealt with it. I mean, because we can't say that all, I mean, sure, but not all. Just, just let that sink in a little bit. The ghost of church past, the ghost of family past, <laughs> the ghost of marriage past. Uh, the last one, so you forgive, and then you, you gotta pray for the person, the, per, uh, the perpetrator. Matthew 5, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. The end of the book, chapter 42, it says that after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again. Got twice as much as he had before. Now, when it says his friends, that term is used very loosely. Uh, these three guys were not very good friends. Did you read the book? And, it, you know, it, these guys aren't helping. They condemn. They, they have religious spirits. They have legal spirit. They're, they're telling, well, obviously you sinned, and obviously you did it wrong, and obviously, 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 obviously. Everything just fits in a little nice little neat package to these three guys, you know, with friends like that who needs enemies. And it says at the end, after God speaks to him and all the stuff, it says that Job prayed for his friends. And it wasn't until after that that his fortune was restored. Are you ticked off with somebody? Pray for him. Have they offended you? Pray for them. We don't usually think of those as divine appointments, do we? Right? Maybe we should look at these situations as opportunities. Oh, you know, somebody just, you know, wastes you, and you go, oh, you must need prayer. <laughs> That's why you just hit me in the face. Glory to God. I would like to pray for you, uh, but away from you. Um, <laughs> Corey Ten Boom. Everybody know Corey Ten Boom? Dutch woman whose family harbored uh, Jews in the Holocaust in Holland. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. Listen really carefully to this. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was in 1947, and I had come to Holland, from Holland, to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. 
It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think uh, that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, which is in the Bible, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for this part, she says, I believe that God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never, there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. That's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform in her mind, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room, she's now imagining, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, her sister's name, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust, start, he, th thrust out. She, he's in the meeting where she's speaking in Germany. His hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. His hand is out. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He wouldn't remember of me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among uh, those thousands of women? But I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, and I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the, came, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again needed to be forgiven, could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by, uh, for the asking? I could not have been, it, it could not have been uh, many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only as a command of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. The, listen to this. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It's as simple and horrible as that. And, I, and still I stood there with a the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness, this is, this is profound. I mean, she's living it, okay? I mean, I'm reading it. She's living it. Let's try to get in her, in her head here. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. 
I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. That's power, I mean, that's a powerful thing. You might not have experienced something as uh, deep and, and, and painful as she ex expresses. I'd like to give you a prayer. I'm going to read it to you because I don't want to make you pray a prayer that you're not in agreement with. But listen to this prayer and see if you might want to begin something, some process in your life now. Today, Lord, I choose to release the people that have offended me, me. not because I feel forgiveness or because they're right, but because I choose to be obedient to you, Father, I release them from my resentment, my anger, and my bitterness. I forgive them. And I pray for them, not that you, or that, I pray for them that you would bless them, heal them, forgive them, empower them to be all that you want them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be perfunctory, and it, it won't hurt anybody to pray this prayer if you're not, your, head, your heart's not in it certainly will help us to pray this prayer if your heart is. And it also is introductory. It's not the whole nine yards. It begins the process, I think, because healing is a process. I'll talk just briefly about that in just a moment. We're almost done here, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. But if you can pray that prayer, if, you can, if you're in agreement with that prayer, and, and it might not even mean that you are even aware that you have outstanding uh, bitterness uh, regarding somebody, I'd like to just challenge you, if you're willing, to pray this prayer out loud with me piece at a time. I'll pray it, and I mean it from my heart, and uh, hope that you can as well. Okay? We don't do a lot of responsive prayers, but I'd like to do one here. Okay? Let's bow our heads. I, when I come to the table, I'm coming to this table for, to bask in the love of God and the forgiveness of God. Jesus died in our place and rose again so that we could be forgiven. How did God forgive you? What did you say earlier? How did, what did you say earlier when you said uh, how he, for, huh? Completely, freely, unconditionally. Okay, well, that's what we are experiencing and celebrating at the communion table, isn't it? Um, a man went through uh, a river in Burma and got leeches on his body. He started to pull them off, and somebody said, don't do that because you'll leave parts of them in, you're inside you. He said, what you've got to do is take a warm balsam bath, and then the leeches get satiated, and they just drop off. When I go to the communion table, I'm, I am taking a bath in the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And as the, out of the overflow of that, then I'm more able to forgive other people, not because of the cracker and the juice, but because of the reality of the forgiveness of God in my own life. Does that make sense? And it, that also creates a scenario where it's a, it's, a, it's a process. We prayed a prayer there. That's only the beginning, isn't it? 
It's a process to forgive oftentimes, and I want to challenge us to walk in that process. You're close when I'm in the fire, Lord. You're near when the flames overwhelm. It's your grace that'll get me started.